This is the AOS Career Podcast, part of the Bone Beat Orthopedic Podcast channel. This series features conversations on professional development and growth opportunities within the field of musculoskeletal healthcare. I'm your host, Austin Beeson, chair of the AOS Resident Assembly. Thank you all for listening in. Today, we're very lucky to be joined by Dr. Joe Bosco, past president of the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons and current professor at NYU School of Medicine. Dr. Bosco, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Austin. Good morning to you. Good morning. So this podcast has been focused on professional development, and we always pick topics to try to help our listeners who are in early stages of their career be successful in the future. Dr. Bosco, I was wondering, could you talk about how leadership is important to professional development and how it helps us become better orthopedic surgeons? Sure. So, you know, you guys out there who are in residency or just starting a practice and basically trying to get people in the door and trying to figure out how not to bag the musculocutaneous nerve when you're doing a ladder J, those are the things that you should do. But at some point, in order to take it to the next level, you need to understand leadership principles, communication, how to set vision and strategy, because you're going to have an OR team. You're chosen for medical school because you have the ability to sequester yourself in the library and study the Krebs cycle, not because you're leaders. Leadership development so you can have a cohesive OR team, so you can have an office staff that shares your vision, so you can listen to your office staff when they tell you that your vision is not 100% correct. That's what's going to make your practice successful. Sure, you have to be a good surgeon. We take that for granted that you're going to know the anatomy. That's what residency is for. We take it for granted you're going to be available and affable so you'll get patients in the door. But leadership and leadership skills are what's really going to propel your practice skills, which you don't learn in medical school, that are developed over time. That sounds like a perfect insight. And I think that sets us up well for the conversation we're about to have. So we'll jump right in. Recognizing leadership is a skill and governance is a dynamic and complex process. The Academy developed the AOS Leadership Institute to help members acquire the training, mentoring and networking opportunities to succeed as a volunteer leader at the Academy. This episode, we plan to talk about this, but also leadership in general with someone who's done a great deal of that for the Academy and in his career as an orthopedic surgeon. Dr. Bosco, what do you think makes an effective leader? That's a great question. Leadership is a skill which has a talent. There are some leaders that are just naturally talented, but most of us are not like that. And all of us can benefit by leadership training. In order to be a good leader, you need to have willingness to step up. And communication is key to leadership. But again, not all of us are born with these abilities or born with these abilities fully formed. So like any other skill, The more you practice, the more you invest time and energy into developing it, the better you get at it. And frankly, people say, what kind of leader are you? What's your leadership style, right? And I think that although we all have our own personalities, your personality has to sort of take second uh, row towards situational leadership. There are certain times when leadership calls for a Winston Churchill type, you know, this is the deal, this is what we're going to do, no discussion, uh, commander. Other times where it's a more collaborative leadership. When you first come into a leadership role, sometimes you want to be a servile leadership by serving people and gaining their trust. So there's not one leadership style. I would completely agree that it, it certainly changes based on the, the situation and your role. And with that, it being a skill and there being so many techniques and approaches to leadership, my understanding is that was much of the impetus behind developing the AOS Leadership Institute. 
Can you talk to listeners who are unfamiliar with it about what it is and what was the intended purpose? Sure. So the AAOS Leadership Institute, or Ally, is basically us formalizing a pathway towards leadership and uh, better service to the academy. In order to become the best organization we can be, each of our members has to contribute in some way. Now, you can't all be president, but each of our members can do something. The problem is that it's sometimes not easy to become a leader or serve the academy. So the Leadership Institute was something to make it egalitarian. Anyone can join the leadership pathway. There's four different stages of it, and stages one and two are basically open to everyone. So the way it used to be, our legacy program was a leadership fellows program where you had to get selected. That is counterproductive because when you're selecting only 10 or 15 people, you are probably excluding hundreds of people that could do a great job. And guess what? The people who are selected are the folks that know folks. So we wanted to increase our diversity and really tap into the wide breadth of talent that's out there in our members. So to piggyback on that, how can members get involved with the Ally and when is the best time to start thinking about that? We'd like to say it's never too early. You can do it anytime. It's all web-based. It's open to residents and candidate members. If you go to the website and you look up Leadership Institute with a couple point and clicks, you get right to the area where it's housed on the Academy website. We want to include everyone because orthopedic surgeons are born leaders. I completely agree. Speaking of born leaders, I do want to ask you about a story you told at the new member luncheon last year at the Academy meeting. You knew pretty early that you were planning for a leadership role in the Academy. Is that right? Yes. In a way, you know, I'm an old guy and I was a resident from uh, 86 to 91. So I think it was one of the meetings in the 80s, New Orleans. So we showed up in the morning and at that time there was no leadership institute or leadership fellows program. So when I checked in, the young lady at the check-in booth, I said, listen, I'm speaking. She goes, okay, here's a speaker's badge. And I looked in the hat. She had probably 15 different badges. And she said, would you like any other badge? I said, yeah, I'll take the past president's badge. And she was 18, maybe in high school. So she gave me the past president's badge. And my friends rightly said, so you got to be out of your mind. You can't wear that around. I'm like, sure I am. You know, I got the best coffee. I got the best veal at the restaurants. It was awesome. But maybe that was a harbinger of things to come. I don't know. I lost it downtown, probably at Patty O'Reilly's or one of those places somewhere. Lost it at some point, but got another one officially back. But that really speaks, I think, to the commitment to leadership and developing that over a period of time. And I think the Ally program is a great start in that. So for folks who are interested in getting involved in the Ally and in leadership in the academy, a logistical question, is the Ally program a prerequisite to serving on an AAOS committee or council? Yes, it is. Levels one and two are all online. They're open to everyone. And we feel really it does help. Levels one just talks about the basic structure of the academy, how many councils in the academy. Basically, it's almost like an introduction. It's onboarding. We never had a formal onboarding process. So that's what level one is. Instead of binging The Crown or Ozark, you could binge the academy stuff and you'd be done in a weekend with it. I was wondering if you could go a little bit more deep into each level, just as a general overview for listeners who might be curious what they're getting into. Yeah, so level one is designed to provide the attendee with a solid understanding of the academy, all your member benefits, all the avenues that you have and get involved in AOS and strengthen your peer network. So we have things like navigating the academy, membership engagement, 
introduction to the academy, we talk about the nuts and bolts and structure and function of the academy. Now that's level one, 10 hours, maybe 12 hours of a webinar and video time. Level two offers more access and learning and knowledge of AOS governments and provides excellent foundation for personal leadership skills. Stuff that needs to be honed over years. It talks about strategic thinking, excellence in communication, diversity, implicit bias training, which we all could benefit from, and how to get involved in advocacy, either for the academy or for whatever thing you want to do. And then level three, you have to apply to get into, and that looks at next step to knowledge and leadership skills that are critical to becoming a strong AOS committee chair, committee member. Things like how to run an effective meeting. That's a good skill anyway, right? how to set an agenda, how to stick to an agenda, how to have difficult conversations. Eventually, you're going to have to have a difficult conversation, whether it's your teenager or at work, how to be a transformational leader, how to set a strategy and vision and get others to follow you. Financial acumen. Those of us that didn't go to uh, business school, it's good to learn how to look at a spreadsheet, more diversity training and training on innovation, how to bring up innovative ideas. And level four is more designed for the higher level leader, the council chair, the board member, you get a mentor, and there is some online learning, but many of these things are in person too. That's level four. So again, we try to be inclusionary. In order to become a level three or level four, we don't want you to have an ex-president have to write you a letter. There's so much talent out there. So this is to try and take as many barriers to entry away from developing our leaders. Thanks for overviewing that. And I think the Academy has done a great job of making this accessible to everyone who wants to be involved or develop these skills. What do you see the advantages for a resident or a candidate member and participating in the Ally program? We structured this program specifically to develop leaders for the Academy. I mean, it's a huge organization. So this allows you to take full advantage of your membership. But there are also modules that transcend just the academy, like how to run a meeting, how to run a project, setting goals. You know, a lot of you guys are going to business school smartly, but I never got an MBA. So I had to learn how to work with a team and set goals on my own. But this is a formalized education on how to do that. So all these things transcend just orthopedics in the academy and really do help make you a better person. I would completely agree with you. And I think the trend towards some of these higher level degrees, like an MBA, being more prevalent with orthopedic surgeons, especially residents and early career surgeons, speaks to, I think, the almost necessity of these skills in running a successful practice and being successful in your career. And I think this offering from the academy is a great thing to at least start you in developing those skills. Some of these modules are getting involved in advocacy, how you can advocate for your profession. And basically, it's like Schoolhouse Rock, how a bill becomes a law. It's fascinating to go to D.C. or learn how our government works or doesn't work for us. And that transcends just orthopedics. Completely agree. In terms of time, what is the time commitment for the Ally program? You could get done with levels one and two in 10 to 12 hours apiece. Levels three, there's a little bit of a fuddle. We only select 20 people for that every year. They have to apply, but there's no letters of recommendation. We just look at your application, and and if you've done levels one and two, and we think that you'd fit. So levels three is a bigger time commitment. There's some in-person training. All these things, I think, are time well spent. Even if you're trying to run your own practice or work at a hospital, many of us are hospital employed. Well, that's a hierarchical organization that you need to learn that work as a team and think strategically for if you're going to succeed in a hierarchical big organization like a hospital or a multi-especially practice. 
I do want to transition a little bit to just general leadership. You took over the helm of the academy right at the beginning of a pandemic and successfully led us through a very difficult time for the country. What leadership lessons have been most important to you or what advice for leading in turbulent times would you have for listeners? Thank you. Thank you for that. The best advice I can give is have a great team. This crisis was an opportunity for the academy to serve its membership and allowed us an opportunity to have the academy shine and it did shine and it had very little to do with me and everything to do with the 250 employees of the academy and our member volunteers who pulled together and because of the culture of our organization which had been developed over decades and the strength of our members not only were we able to get through the pandemic but we were able to go on with the business of the academy there was a big pandemic but that didn't stop washington and the folks in dc we had to keep on going whether it was advocacy efforts, Paul Turnett and the Education Council are very close to delivering on The Rock, that's a resident online curriculum, huge undertaking, 500 chapters. All that work went on despite the pandemic. So the thing that, that I am most proud and we all should be most proud of is that the Academy not only survived the pandemic, but continued to deliver on a strategic plan. And that has very little to do with my year as leader and all to do with the character and culture that's been in our organization for years. Well, that's very modest. I think you had a great deal to do with it, but it is a great accomplishment as a whole for the Academy. What advice would you give to residents and early career orthopedic surgeons preparing for these leadership roles? Outside of the ally, what things can we be doing? What kind of things should we be thinking about? This is more than a profession. It's a calling. You really have to dive in and be committed. And frankly, what I found over the years, too, is that you're going to go to your community and you're going to be a great orthopedic surgeon. When a hip fracture comes in or an ACL comes in, you're going to do a great job fixing that. And those interpersonal one-on-one -on -one interactions are what makes our profession great. Intimacy you get with your patients and the relationships, how grateful they are, there's nothing better than that. But that's one patient at a time. No matter how hard you work, there's only X amount of patients you can affect. But through advocacy and leadership in our organization, in our field, you could affect hundreds if not thousands and tens of thousands of patients by creating laws, by having structures, by having policies that allow access to high quality care for your patients. Not only do you fix that one patient's hip fractures, but you can make sure that 10,000 patients have access to high quality care so they get their hip fractures fixed by other orthopedic surgeons who come after you. And diversity, let's face it, we have not done a great job, not for lack of effort, in diversifying our profession. And the more our profession looks like the people it serves, the better we will be, the better we'll be able to serve them. And we're working on that as well. So all these things transcend the one person, one patient interactions that really are special for us to a bigger stage so that we can affect more people. So I think that's really what makes leadership and what we do special. And I would echo what you said. For residents, it's sometimes hard for us to see the big scope of it, to see the calling of our profession, certainly amidst preparing for cases and studying for the in-service. But this profession that we have is a wonderful opportunity to make great change for our patients and for patients at large. And I think what you said earlier about leadership being something you develop and hone over time is a great lesson for us, committing to this, even if it's in small chunks. But over time, those chunks really accumulate and make something valuable. Dr. Bosco, it's been phenomenal talking with you and having you here. Any final thoughts? I hope I've communicated my enthusiasm for our profession and our organization. I see young folks like you and teaching and mentoring young people, and I see that 
our organization, our profession is going to be in good hands in the generation. So enjoy it. And I think that everyone in my role at my level would give their left little finger to be where you guys are right now. That's fair. We'll take it. All right. Thanks again for all the listeners. We will be sure to include in the show notes a link to the Ally program. Dr. Bosco, thank you again for joining us and thank you all for listening. Take care, guys. Bye now. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AAOS Career Podcast, part of the Bone Beat Orthopedic Podcast channel with production and sound design by Mission Based Media. For more information on this topic and to hear other conversations on professional development, please visit aaos.org forward slash the bone beat career. <laughs>